Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. It is our finale for season three. And the fact that it's season three already and we're not even two years into this, I'm like, damn, no wonder we need a break. (laughs) For those of you who aren't aware, Britt and I are doing everything. (laughs) I did recently start paying somebody to edit the episodes, but before that, Britt and I were doing like the research, the social media stuff, the recording editing you know it's just there's there's so many different moving parts that two people were taking care of so we are very exhausted and i'm not saying this to complain i'm saying it because i don't think a lot of people understand what goes into making a podcast and then marketing said podcast (laughs) so yeah it's it's a lot so we are going to be taking an extended break after our finale episode which we're about to give to you i'm tired this is just rambling at this point <laughs> anyway how are you brit i'm tired i did buy my taylor swift tickets today so mm, yeah that's happening for me when is your show it's in nashville on may 6th nice nice i got in there so i got a pre-sale code and i got boosted well they're like log in 30 minutes early so i logged in and at 30 the pre-sale started at 10 i waited from 10 to 4 30 that's how long I was in the pre-sale line. Yeah, I remember I remember you saying that you were fine with recording after 10 a.m. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm not even going to be awake anyway. And then, like, what was it, like, three hours ago? You were like, I finally got my tickets. So I'm like, god damn. Yeah, and the prices weren't bad. The prices were good. But then, like, so it started out. I had 22,000 people in front of me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill myself. A lot of people. <laughs> and, and then I, like, slowly went. But Ticketmaster, like, paused the queue so nobody could buy because they had codes that weren't working. And they were like, oh, we didn't realize it would be that much with men. Yes, you did. You sent out the codes. It's Taylor Swift. You sent out. It's Taylor Swift. Well, and it's like, you (laughs) sent out the codes. You knew how many people got codes. Why? Yeah. Well, do you think maybe some people shared codes online and were like, here's the pre-sale code for everybody no, or something like that because you have to be through that link in the account and you can't have two tabs open of the same account or it'll kick you off that's just pre-sale <laughs> i was like she hasn't gone on tour since 2017 what did you guys expect yeah stupid well i'm glad you got your tickets yeah me too and there are nosebleeds <laughs> but it's fine i'm gonna still vibe yeah you're still gonna be in the same breathing the same air as taylor swift mm-hmm. so that's it that's that's the important part mm-hmm So, our case today, I was planning to do this one back in our Halloween series when we were debating what we were going to do for the month of October. Last year, we did basically horror movies that were based on true crime cases, and so this is kind of in that vein, and that's why we didn't do it in in our October spooky season episodes. It is the case of Annalise, I think it's Michael. Or it could be Michelle, but they were German, so I'm thinking it's more Michael. If you guys... This movie has stuck with me for so long. If you guys have ever seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose that came out in 2005, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it later, but it is loosely based off of this case. So that movie has stuck with me for so long that like, I am terrified of (laughs) uh, the number three in like having it three in a row because a lot of spooky shit happened at three thirty three in the morning because that was apparently like the witching hour. So I was, (laughs) if I have ever stayed at your house and I've made some sort of like, like comment to that regard, that's why. Have you? I don't think you have. Out of my house. Anyways. I I don't think I have to you. Well, I was number six, six, six for like a good 15 minutes in the queue today. I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> well, this is how that's going to be. Well, and then, it just- to touch back on my ticket buying experience, I would have shit in my cart, dead ass, for like 20 minutes I did this. And people would steal it out of my cart. Because Ticketmaster wouldn't process it fast enough. And I was like, I swear to motherfucking God. <laughs> and then I finally got in and I was like, well, these tickets, I don't care. Bye. Yep. <laughs> well. We're going to go through this case, but it is a case that talks about it's heavily like religion based. So if that's something that is uncomfortable for you, 
this episode's probably not for you because there's going to be some religious commentary as well as talk about like mental health and physical health and things along those lines and how that can sometimes be detrimental to people who actually need medical help. So we're going to jump right in. So come along with us. We're going to be talking about her full name was Anna Elizabeth Michelle and or Michael, and she went by Annalise. So she was born on September 21st, 1952 in <laughs> I might have typoed that, uh, Germany, to Joseph and Anna Michael. And she had three sisters. I didn't find any names, but that's fine. I'm, they're probably still out there, so I want to respect their privacy. So her family were devout Roman Catholics, and she grew up incredibly religious. They basically attended mass twice a week, you know, very strict. They were described as being somewhat extreme, which in the sense of like, once you hear all of the case details, like it makes sense. But also Catholics are just very intense. (laughs) Well, certain kinds of Catholics, devout Catholics are very intense because you also have the Catholics who, what is it, like C&E Catholics who are only there for Christmas and Easter. <laughs> the side uh, front row so, Baptists or back row Baptists. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like every religion has has people like that who are either like on one side of the extreme where they're like always there all the time and then you've got the people who are on the other side which are like we'll go for like the big major holidays but it's not that important you know so apparently they were on that one extreme basically for those of you who aren't aware which is probably not many of you the catholic church is the largest christian church in the world so that's also not that surprising so roman catholics are the same as regular first yeah because protestants split off from catholicism so roman catholics are the same as like regular catholics except that they are quote in full communion with the pope in rome unquote so because of that they call themselves roman catholics to distinguish themselves from others so i guess they're just like oh we actually like the pope is like our is our dude and not every catholic feels that way i guess i don't know that that's that's what i saw online basically it just kind of seemed like a way for them to differentiate themselves for no real reason (laughs) okay so back to annalise In 1968, at the age of 16, she experienced a severe convulsion that caused her to black out and to be in a trance-like state afterwards when she woke up. So about a year later, she experienced something similar. I guess it was the middle of the night and she woke up in a trance-like state and ended up wetting her bed. So after seeing a neurologist at the psychiatric clinic Würzburg, she was diagnosed with temporal lobe or what is now usually referred to as grand mal seizures or grand mal epilepsy. So a temporal lobe epilepsy is the most common form of epilepsy and can involve one or both temporal lobes of the brain, which process emotions and short-term memory. So these next little bits are kind of important to keep in mind as we go through this case, but some of the symptoms include having odd feelings like euphoria, deja vu, or fear, and experiencing, quote, a sudden or strange odor or taste, unquote. A lot of what people will experience with that sort of thing, it's like not actually happen happening, but your brain is kind of shorting. So in a way, it's like a hallucination. That makes sense. So one quote that I found as I was researching was while she was praying the rosary one day, she related smelling sweetness, quote, wafting about her like the fragrance of violets, unquote, and a euphoric feeling that lasted into the next day. She was found by other girls to be in a trance-like state with her hands rigidly outstretched, quote, like you had a cramp or something, like when my cat stretches her claws, unquote, and her pupils were dilated, quote, I thought they were blue. Now they are all black, unquote. So this is in the late 60s. I'm not entirely sure how expansive medicine in the realm of epilepsy was at that point, like how much we actually knew about it. But clearly, for people who are very, I guess, very engrossed in religion and especially Catholicism, they might not necessarily believe in a lot of medical advancements. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. The whole thing with grand mal seizures, or you sometimes see them referred to as tonic-clonic seizures, which is 
a, a big tongue twister. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to say tonic clonic all the time. Uh, but that can. Tonic, in- <laughs> it sounds almost like a drink. I doesn't say, it? it sounds like a cocktail. Can I please have a tonic yeah. clonic, please? <laughs> basically so that can include loss of consciousness and violent muscle contractions typically caused by epilepsy so like you can have a grand mal seizure without being epileptic but usually if you are diagnosed as having epilepsy you're gonna have seizures like this anyway that kind of refers back to like her blacking out and then like the muscle rigidity my uncle had a grand mal seizure and then it triggered him to have symptoms of schizophrenia. Ooh, yeah. He has schizophrenia, but it was like one of the dormant. Yeah. So it, it kind of like activated some things. And that's that's the thing with like the brain. That it's it, everything is just so like intricate in there that like one little thing can just, you know, be off and then it affects so many different parts of your life and your functioning from day to day. Court records report that her first epileptic attack was in 1969. And then apparently these kind of seizures can also cause what is called Geschwind syndrome, which is like one of the symptoms that I guess is part of that is hyper religiosity. So take that plus the devout Catholicism and put it together. And that kind of sets the stage for everything that she goes through. Yeah. In June of 1970, she experienced her third seizure at the psychiatric hospital where she was getting treatment, and she was prescribed anticonvulsant medication, including Dilantin, for the first time. It was around this time that she began to experience visions of, quote, devil faces, unquote, throughout the day, which prompted her to be given a prescription of, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but it's Aolept, a drug used to treat psychosis, including schizophrenia, disturbed behavior, and delusions. And so as time progresses, she became intolerant of Christian symbology in places such as churches and the crucifix. And one of the things that I go into it a little bit more later, like there are some criteria for performing exorcisms that the church has. And one of these is to like make sure that people actually are possessed by a demon and not just experiencing symptoms of mental illness is like part of that demon possession is becoming intolerant of these images, basically not being able to go to a crucifix. And that's why you see in like movies and shows when they throw holy water on, on somebody who's possessed, they like are burning or whatever, (laughs) because the demon is like averse to these symbols of, Christianity. Mm-hmm. So one of these instances was on a Christian pilgrimage with a family friend where she was unable to walk past a crucifix and she refused to drink holy water from a Christian holy spring, mm-hmm. which led the people she was with to determine that she was possessed by a demon. So one of the quotes that I found that kind of talked about this situation, I don't know where the quote was from. I believe it might have been from court testimony. But it said, Annalise told me, and Frau Hain confirmed this, that she was unable to enter the shrine. She approached it with the greatest hesitation, then said that the soil burned like fire, and she simply could not stand it. She then walked around the shrine in a wide arc and tried to approach it from the back. She looked at the people who were kneeling in the area surrounding the little garden, and it seemed to her that while praying, they were gnashing their teeth. She got as far as the edge of the little garden, then she had to turn back. Coming from the front again, she had to avert her glance from the picture of Christ in the chapel of the house. She made it several times to the garden, but could not get past it. She also noted that she could no longer look at medals or pictures of saints. They sparkled so immensely that she could not stand it, unquote. And that's from Father Ernst Alt, who plays a big part in some of the things that happen during the exorcism. Yeah. So... Some others, obviously, after all of these behavior changes and various things happening to her, came to the conclusion that she was possessed, including her family. And so they decided to seek out priests to request an exorcism. And initially, these priests would reject their request, and they just recommended to continue her medical treatment because, I guess, to them, I don't know if they ever had, like, actual interactions with her or just from, like, the description of what the she was experiencing but basically they were just saying you know keep taking your medication and keep doing those treatments 
because at the time, exorcisms were rarely performed in the Catholic Church. So I think it was basically they were just very rare and had been since the 18th century. So they basically what they did was they continued Annalise's medical treatment, but they were still seeking out somebody to perform an exorcism because Annalise kept getting worse. She was displaying aggression. She was injuring herself. She would drink her own urine, eat insects. She was hallucinating while praying. She heard voices that would tell her that she would, quote, rot in hell, unquote, or that she was, quote, damned, unquote. And she would experience symptoms of depression, including suicidal ideation. Hmm. So she was started on another anti-seizure medication called Tegretol, and that's also a mood stabilizer in November of 1973. And she'd basically been taking medication for about five years at that point, and she was continuing to take them throughout the remainder of her life. So, What is a mood stabilizer? Is it like anxiety medicine? Kind of. I guess a mood stabilizer would be a little bit more like... I guess lithium for like somebody who's bipolar because, you know, they can have really high highs and really low lows. Mm -hmm. This kind of bridges that gap and brings those down to a more like tolerable level. So I don't know what Tegretol specifically is used, like which disorders that's specifically used for other than the anti-seizure thing. It said it was a mood stabilizer, but I didn't look into that as much, Mm -hmm. but it's... Yeah, I guess like antidepressants, you know, and those kind of things, those are those would be considered mood stabilizers, I would think. So she she continued to get worse. And so in 1975, Father Ernst Alt appealed to a local bishop to allow an exorcism because he believed strongly that she was demonically possessed because she's continuing this medical treatment and nothing is helping. Mm -hmm. She's just getting worse and worse. So. In September of that same year, Bishop Joseph Stangl granted permission for Father Arnold Renz, who is another local priest, to perform an exorcism, but he ordered that they do it in total secrecy. Why? Don't know. I don't know why he said in total secrecy, but yeah, that's that's my thought too. Okay, so for those of you who are not entrenched in Christianity or who have not heard of exorcism before, I'm going to give a little bit of information about what that is. So Encyclopedia Britannica defines an exorcism as, quote, an adjuration address to evil spirits to force them to abandon an object, place, or a person, or expel demons from persons who have come under their power, unquote, aka being possessed by a demon. So possession is considered the unwilling manipulation of a person, place, or object by malevolent spirits, mainly demons, if you believe in well, not just Christianity. This They use these rituals in various forms of religions and cultures. It's just that in media, it, we typically see it associated with the Catholic Church and Christianity. So these demonic possessions can result in harm either to that person, like they can harm themselves, or it can cause harm to others. And for this reason... Exorcism is usually seen as a cure and not considered like a punishment to the person because the person themselves is not the one who's doing this. It's the demon that's inside them. And so it's not seen as a punishment, although the exorcism process can be grueling because it can take anywhere between weeks, months, or even years to complete one. So it is a practice that's been used in various religions, like I said. But that's not how they did it in The Conjuring. It was done in like five minutes. So, well, yeah, but that's Hollywood. <laughs> uh, Hollywood like also 10, thinks that you can totally get, you know, fingerprint evidence and whatnot evaluated in like an hour. It's totally not going to take weeks or months to do this. Yeah. So I thought. So off topic. Well, not really. But I thought because of SVU, like you get like like cases go to court. It's like in two weeks after they get arrested. Like it's pretty fast. No, that shit takes years. Yeah. Well, it used to be pretty fast, but I think one of the main problems with the justice system is that it's the main way that people can like resolve conflict, <laughs> like with civil cases or whatever. But like, that's essentially what it is, is conflict resolution. Well, that and also like lawyers can keep pushing off the date to like that too. Yeah. Criminal defense attorneys so they can get more like evidence or stuff like that. And which I didn't realize, like, mm-hmm. I was like, damn, that should take five ever. Yes, it does. It really does. 
like I said, you you see it associated mostly with Christianity and Catholic Church. And so in the Christian tradition, Jesus is said to have expelled demons from people and his followers, the apostles, were also said to be able to do the same in his name. So it's considered like a special gift that can be bestowed on somebody, not necessarily somebody who is within the religion or not. So the practice of exorcism within the Catholic Church is actually highly regulated. Well, it might be now. I don't know how it was back then, but it is regulated. <laughs> um, basically, they wrote it into kind of like the canon laws or whatever of their religion. So, like, I think they said, I think I saw it was like the 16th century was when it really like became part of the written, you know, law of the Catholic Church. But it might have been practiced for a really long time before that. Do they do exorcisms often? Like, I really did. I thought this was like a rare occurrence. <laughs> No. Well, that's the thing is that it was pretty rare. I don't know. I feel like they try to keep it rare, but then there's also people who, at least in the Catholic Church. So I I think I mentioned that other religions and other cultures also have similar forms. They might not call it exorcism, but the they have similar rituals and things along those lines. So it's possible that it happens a lot in other cultures or other religions. I know at least with the Catholic Church, they try to not do it as often. And I'm going to actually talk about that a little bit. I know, I know. We won't keep you sitting on the edge of your seat too long. We will get right back to that after a quick word about our sponsors. Twenty twenty three is right around the corner, which means we all need to update our calendars very soon. If you're a big true crime podcast fan, we got some great news for you. We are taking part in a collaboration with eleven other podcasters to bring you the True Crime Podcast twenty twenty three calendar. Each month features a different podcast, and you might recognize some familiar faces in the month of December, which is also my birthday month. <laughs> They are currently on presale for 10% off until the end of November, and you can use our code WICKED for an additional $5 off your order. We'll have the link in our show notes, but go to podcastcalendars.com to get your copy today. So I mentioned before that priests actually have to like get special permission to perform an exorcism. So basically they have to appeal to the Catholic Church or the Vatican, so like the top dogs to perform an exorcism. Because there is a section in what is called the Rituale Romanium, Romanium, probably pronounced that really wrong. Sorry, I don't speak Latin. Uh, (laughs) But basically, Section 11 has guidelines for conducting an exorcism and also criteria for what qualifies for getting an exorcism to be approved, basically. And part of that is to prevent injury to the person who is being exercised and also to prevent exorcisms being performed on people who are just manifesting symptoms of psychological or physical illness or just mental health issues in general from whatever lack of treatment or inappropriate treatment instead of, you know, somebody who's being possessed by a demon. So something that happens a lot in particular Christian circles. I can't speak for for Catholics, but I can say that at least in like the evangelical church, there is a lot of people who believe that anything can be cured through just believing and having faith. So like they will be like, oh, you don't need medical treatment to treat your cancer. We just pray that God will heal you and, you know, it'll happen. (laughs) That's the thing is that, yeah, you can do that. But God, like if you believe in God being the creator of all things, you also believe that he created medicine and medical advancements. Don't get me started on that. So this. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, there's definitely just a lot there that like we could talk about. We're not going to, but yeah, basically just the idea of faith healing. I, I can't get behind it because like as somebody who has ADHD, who has depression and has had these for most of their life. <laughs> like I I need medication in order to be not normal, but be able to function day to day. Like if I don't take my ADHD medication as somebody who works from home, I'm not going to be productive. <laughs> like I might get one thing started. I just want to argue like, like if God is creator of all things, 
then he created the cancer. So now you're telling someone they need to pray to the person who created all things who then gave them cancer. Mm. Well, they would just say that he didn't create the cancer, but human sin brought all these evils into the world and yada, yada. So, like, I've heard all the arguments and whatever, but, like, faith healing to me, like, yeah, sure, you can pray or whatever, but, like, medicine's here for a reason. Take advantage of it if you can. That makes me think of that episode in Supernatural, like, way back in the, like, first season when he, like, Dean has, like, gets electrocuted or something and they go to the faith healer oh yeah and the guy the guy's blind but it's his wife who's like got a reaper this can lead to detrimental outcomes there are some some things that need to be treated by medicine like you can pray that's fine but yeah like there's there's a reason why for example people get vaccinated against smallpox and against polio because like it works <laughs> you know so it's like yeah like when people started to be more anti-vax which like you do what you want to do but just don't be surprised when you catch measles and smallpox Polio. and you know these <laughs> like I, I don't know anyway when people started to do that like these things started to become more prevalent when we had basically eradicated these things because these vaccines became like commonplace so like medicine has its place yes there is also natural medication like there are natural practices and ways to do that to get rid of things but like it's out there for a reason so take advantage of it because otherwise situations like this that definitely could have been avoided will happen and somebody dies for no reason so Mm -hmm. that being said there are people in the scientific community who i guess for me I've probably said it before, like, I'm not, I'm not an atheist. I'm definitely more agnostic because it's like, I believe that there's something out there, but I don't know. I'm not going to be prideful or say that I know exactly what it is that's out there because like, I don't, (laughs) I don't know anything. I'm, I'm not Mm. smart. And whoever emailed me to this, this past week (laughs) would would agree with me. Sorry. We got a very (laughs) trolly email to our podcast emails. And if you're listening, which I hope you are you're a dweeb and i'm i really am it's hilarious that that upset you so much that i called you a dweeb i just went to bed and i wake up (laughs) and i have like 10 emails and i'm like i don't know what's going on it was just it was me going back and forth with the troll basically he called us well they i don't know who it was uh they called us stupid basically yeah (laughs) so it could be either either one but (laughs) they called us stupid but just like it's fine I, I was messing with it, with the person as I was responding. And then at one point I told, they said something about how they were scared about us potentially being on a jury or something like that. And I was like, yeah, maybe we'll be on the jury when you're on trial for being a dweeb. I hear that, or uh, yeah, a dweeb who harasses people on the internet for fun. I hear that's illegal in at least three states. And like, I was literally just like joking along and they called me. <laughs> I guess that made them really, really mad because they came back and insulted me again, calling me vile, basically. And I'm like, you're the one who emailed us just to insult us. Like, anyway. It's so funny because <laughs> if <laughs> if there's a confrontation, I'm usually the one that's like, all right, let me just send this message. It's fine. Like, I don't care. But, and Bree's like, yeah, I don't, like, I'm just gonna sit back. No, but when it comes to normally like, I, trolls, and we don't get them a lot, but when we yeah. do, Bree, I'm like, no, don't, just don't respond. And Bree's like, nah, fuck well, this shit. The thing is, is like normally I don't respond, but I was just in a like in a silly, goofy mood, so I was like, you know what, <laughs> you were, you were, because <laughs> I went to bed and you were in the mood, and I was like, all right, so you see tomorrow, and I wake up and I go like. 15 <laughs> screenshots from Brie. I'm like, God damn, what's going on? Gotta go to work. Listen, it, it was just, it was really funny to me. I don't know. I enjoyed it. But then, like, I, I got to the point where it's just like, damn, I can't imagine emailing somebody to insult them and then calling them vile when they call you a dweeb in response. Like, and anyway, I blocked their email address. I don't think they responded after that. 
No, they didn't oh, because I blocked their email address. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I made it so that it will send an automatic message that says uh, you've been blocked because you're a dweeb. So <laughs> anytime they try to respond to us, that's what they're going to get. <laughs> so, like I said, I hope you're listening. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I said, I had fun. Anyway, people in the scientific community, they like to attribute a lot of the symptoms of demonic possession to various forms of mental and physical illness, such as hysteria, mania, psychosis, Tourette's, epilepsy, schizophrenia, or dissociative identity disorder. Because in this particular case, she was allegedly possessed by, I think, like up to six demons or something like that. So I think that, yeah, what I was saying earlier was that like, I'm more agnostic. So like, I believe that demonic possession could happen like i'm whatever you know it's it is what it is but there are a lot of people on both sides who want to say no science is wrong only my answer is correct and then same on the science side they're like no religion is wrong only my answer is correct and it's like i don't know man i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like i know the answers to everything happening in the universe (laughs) so see i think i'm like the opposite well like i think i might be agnostic like i do believe something is maybe out there but like i gotta have stone hard proof well i don't know not about ghosts i really fuck with ghosts i think (laughs) well and, and that's the thing it's like if i'm gonna believe in ghosts even though i've never actually personally seen one before then like i have to believe that like we don't know all of the answers of the universe like there's got to be other things yeah. out there. so that's that's why i identify more as agnostic than anything yeah i'm not atheist because i do believe there's something that's out there i just think i i don't know my argument about religion is i wholeheartedly believe religion as a concept was formed or created to provide answers to things like that we can't fathom so like death or like why the sky is blue or why the grass is green and it's also Mm -hmm. to like give somebody like i don't know hope almost like to give them something to believe in but the bible and this and i don't know about the rest of others like sacred texts but the bible has been written and rewritten and passed down translated generations and i just don't i can't get behind believing in a big book that has been just translated and rewrote and uh redone so many times i just can't i just can't do that especially with the number of versions of translations out there it's like how are all of you guys interpreting this in such different ways if it's all well, then apparently it's like supposed to be the word of God. The same. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's then there's just so many different like there's Methodist and Baptist and Protestant. I mean, that's just there's too much. And then the whole thing with church. I'm just like, it. whatever. <laughs> you can go to church if you want. But I don't think that you should have to go to church in order to be able to have a relationship with said higher being. Agreed. So... Anyway. Also, I don't think God cares as much about what we do if there is a God. I think God just chills. Yeah. All that to say. There's also a form of mania, which, well, monomania, which is apparently like a person has a sound mind except for like this one thing. So I guess that's the thing. <laughs> oh, okay. I, w- I actually was not aware of that. So I don't know a whole lot about it. But there is hey, a. What is like dissociative identity that means they're just like or so it used right well there's a couple different versions of it but it used to be like the bible multiple (laughs) personality it used to be what was called multiple personality disorder so essentially with dissociative identity disorder what it's doing is like your brain is trying to protect you from something from some sort of trauma probably and there are different ways that it can do that so you might see people who have dissociative identity disorder talk about having an alter or another, I guess, another personality, for lack of a better term, where they, like, when they get put in a situation that triggers them or something, they switch to that, or their brain switches to that one because it was created to protect you. And then there's a dissociative fugue state where it's like you're, you're, you forget like your brain basically to protect you causes you to forget certain amounts of time and like you can i don't know it it depends on how long it lasts but sometimes it can last for like a short amount of time or it can last for like years and basically you don't know who you are like you don't remember anything so it's it's really fascinating so i highly recommend looking into it but 
This form of monomania is called demon, demonomania or demonopathy, demonomania. in which the patient believes that they are possessed. <laughs> Basically, the person believes that they are possessed by one or more demons. So I don't know if this is in response to people who believe that they have been possessed or if this is like something that they've actually like done a whole lot of research in. I didn't have a chance to look into it. I just feel like that's probably a little crowded <laughs> yeah just a bit like there's got, only like, so much space all up in there. <laughs> there's only so much space in my meat sack you know like <laughs> come on your so meat suit. there are also some other people who suggest that people who pretend to be possessed by demons are or who say that they are possessed by demons are pretending because either they have low self-esteem or they're narcissists which is like the very opposite side of the scale and they're pretending to i don't know get if attention. they're drinking urine yeah that's the thing it's like i don't believe that's that one very far yeah because there's a lot of stuff too that people go through with these exorcisms where i'm like i don't know why anybody would put themselves through that just to get attention like I, I don't, I don't agree the with that. Salem witch trials and that uh, yeah. girl pretended to be possessed. What, whatever that little yes. girl's name was, she just starts like t- everybody who looks at her the wrong way. Which I mean, I probably would have done that Same. too. I didn't even go. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so let's we're finally going to talk about the exorcism itself and all that happened. Hey. We'll be right back. Our sponsors are talking. So basically, the first session of the exorcism performed by Father Arnold Renz was performed Arnold. on September tw- <laughs> was performed on September 24th, 1975. So initially, Ernst Alt consulted with uh, Dr. Richard Roth for medical help, and he's alleged to have said, quote, there is no injection against the devil, Annalise, unquote. So I'm like, okay, what kind of doctor was he? Do you think maybe, because this is in like the 70s, that maybe somebody just had a really bad like acid hit? It's very possible. However, with her, because it happened over a span of like multiple years, I'm like, I don't know if I would say it with this. Maybe not her. Yeah. Maybe the father. <laughs> so basically, with this doctor, I'm like, okay, are you like an actual medical doctor or were you just somebody who happened to have the title of doctor because you like studied a certain subject? You know, I know at, I think this is like a common thing with most colleges or universities or whatever, where you can get an honorary doctorate given to you and it's like you can have the title. My girl T Swift has one. It's like you can have the title of doctor, even though you didn't do any of the work to get an actual doctorate. My mom is really mad about they, that, by the way. <laughs> well, I think they do that because then they like, because the celebrities give them money. Like I mean, they probably. do stuff for the school. Because I know Kenny Chesney got one for, I think, tennessee but i think he like gives money to the school so that, i think that's why they yeah i mean probably but i know that like for my mom who actually like went through the whole process and got her doctorate she's like that's really annoying <laughs> like how are they gonna say that you can have a you can have the title doctor and then every like you get this honorary doctorate with the i guess all the rights pertaining to having a doctorate when all of these people have to go through multiple years of education well i don't know if every university just does that but i do know that the ones that like she got her doctorate at did that for people where basically you can have you can have the title you can have all the rights you can basically say oh i got a doctorate which is the equivalent of what this person who spent years of writing a dissertation and going through the whole process of defending said dissertation and gets and it's it yeah it just kind of minimizes however it's not like a medical doctorate you're not like you don't just get a medical doctorate (laughs) it's just like fine arts yeah so it's like i Exactly. So I'm like, for Dr. Richard Roth, I'm like, mm, are you an actual doctor? I didn't look into this guy, but I a probably Demonopathy. Anyway. That's what he is. <laughs> yes, demonopathy. That's probably what it was, actually. So during this time, Annalise's parents actually stopped consulting medical doctors at some point because she had requested it. And so they basically were just like relying solely on the exorcism to cure her. And this kind of goes back to that hyper-religiosity that can sometimes happen with the Geschwin syndrome or whatever it was called. So ultimately, over the span of the next 10 months, she underwent 67 exorcism rites. 
So basically there would be like one or two sessions a week that lasted about four hours each. Um, I think it said up to four hours. So like I said, this can take a really long time, basically. Yeah. So in the later parts of this exorcism, like session, I guess, or of the exorcism sessions, Annalise began to start refusing to eat food. So I think part of this could be related to something that she had said as she was like going through these sessions where she was talking about, quote, dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church, unquote. So I feel like maybe part of her was trying to like martyr herself or because, you know, like the whole thing, the whole story of like Jesus being hung on the cross is because he was doing it to atone for the sins of the world. So I'm like, how... I don't know how much of dad day made him do that. Yes. But how much of her choosing to stop getting medical treatment to stop eating food, how much of that was her trying to martyr herself and how much of that was like, quote unquote, the demons uh, basically trying to like sabotage, you know, her, her recovery or whatever. So some of her last words in her final exorcism on June 30th were, quote, please absolution, unquote, and then, quote, mama, stay with me. I am afraid, unquote. So on the following morning, July 1st, 1976, her mother found her around 8 a.m. and she had died. So she was only 23 years old and she was weighing about 30 kilograms, which is approximately like 66, 72 pounds, somewhere in that range. So yeah, it it was brutal on her. Like if you look up some of the pictures, just forewarning, they're not easy to, they're not easy to look at at all. It's, um, you can see that she basically withered away and just, I don't know. It's really, it's really hard to think about her going through this whole thing for 10 months and then just like gradually dying and nobody really helping her in that sense. So We're going to talk about the trial. During her autopsy, her cause of death was actually determined to be, you know, emaciation because of malnutrition and dehydration from nearly a year of being in a state of near starvation. So even before she started to, like, refuse eating food, she apparently was not getting enough nutrients. So some of the other things that they found in the autopsy were that she had contusions on her face, hands, arms, and legs. Some of these can be seen in some of those pictures that I talked about that were taken during the exorcisms. Her knees apparently were broken from continuous genuflections, which is the act of bending one knee to the ground. That's like a something Catholics, I guess, do when they're like praying. And she was also unable to move without assistance and she was also reported to have contracted pneumonia at some time in that and that makes sense because when you people who either have like eating disorders so they become very malnourished or who just are not able to get in enough nutrients they like their immune systems aren't able to really fight back because all of their energy is just kind of focused on like keeping the body alive as best as it can. After an investigation into the circumstances surrounding her death, it was determined that her death could have been prevented as late as one week before she had died. So if they had sought out medical attention a week before she had actually died, they probably could have saved her, saved her life. Yeah, but she asked. Not how yeah, I guess there's there could be an argument made like, was she able to actually consent to that in the state that she was in? You know, like fully believing that she was possessed by the devil because like here at least in the united states people who are being put on trial they can't like they have to be found to be mentally sound to be able to you know be put up for trial especially if that's like a trial where the death penalty could be a a punishment because if they aren't able to you know understand what is actually happening to them you know, they're not able to necessarily like consent and they're not going into this with with like all of knowledge. And so it's considered to be like inhumane. So I guess that sort of argument could be used in the sense she believes she was possessed by demons. But was she fully in her right mind to be able to say, I don't want medical treatment? You know, it's a toss up because, yes, she did say that her parents were just adhering to her wishes. But were her wishes made in a state where she was fully within her right state of mind. So 
So both of Annalise's parents and the priests Ernst Alt and Arnold Renz, who performed the exorcism, were charged with negligent homicide, which I guess would also kind of be like manslaughter here, for failing to call a medical doctor to address that malnutrition. So Father Alt, when asked why no one had actually called for medical attention, he said that he didn't believe her to be dangerously ill. Otherwise, he would have called immediately. I mean, I kind of feel like he's not being shady about it. At least yeah. that one, just because, like, how do you know somebody's dying, like, if, you know, especially yeah. if she's been in that state for a while. That's that's fair. And then Father Renz, on the other hand, said, quote, The exorcism ritual expressly states that the clergymen should not burden themselves with medical matters, unquote. So for him, I'm like, well, that's just you being an asshole. <laughs> like, what if this person was genuinely, like, like, I wonder if he felt any guilt whatsoever for the outcome of what happened? I guess that's kind of my thought. I would like to to hear that, but I didn't see anything when I was researching. So the Michaels were defended by defense attorney Eric Schmidt. I think it's Lakner, Lechner, Lakner. Anyway, he was a famed lawyer who participated as defense counsel in the Nuremberg trials. So I don't know if I like this guy, but it is what it is. So the trial began on March 30th, 1978. And doctors testified that the manifestations of demonic possession, you know, were a result of both her epilepsy and the strict religious upbringing. So they were basically like, she wasn't possessed, she was sick. And then the defense argued that regardless, due to the German constitution's protection for unrestricted exercising of religious beliefs, the exorcism itself was legal. So it didn't really matter if she was sick or not. What they did was legal under that part of the uh, constitution so they also played um during the trial audio recordings that had been taken during the exorcism sessions and i have heard like one or two of them and it's just very eerie so i think that's another thing for me where it was just kind of like i don't know like it's a toss-up like sometimes i'm like yes she was she was sick but also i'm like okay but maybe there's credence to what what like the demonic possession thing i don't know but if you do go and listen to just be aware like she's speaking in another language because she was german but there were also instances where she i think spoke in latin and one other language that's not coming to my mind right now but basically in these sessions like you could hear the quote demons unquote were arguing to assert that she was indeed possessed and the priest said that the demons identified themselves as quote lucifer cain judas iscariot belial Legion, Hitler, and Nero, unquote, among others. So you might recognize some of those names. Cain uh, as the first murderer uh, who murdered his brother Abel. Judas Iscariot was the guy who betrayed Jesus. Uh, Hitler is Hitler. Um, and then Nero was a Roman emperor who was like balls crazy. Um, so you're about yeah, to say it's balls. like. <laughs> I mean, he might have been. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he was balls to the walls crazy. So they also said that just before her death that she had finally been freed from their possession. So I don't know. Anyway, Bishop Stangle, who was the one who approved the exorcism, said that he was actually unaware of Annalise's health condition when he approved of it, the exorcism. But he didn't testify in court. So I don't know where he said that. I imagine that if he didn't know of her health condition, I'm like, why would he have approved it then, considering like the very like the very strict guidelines that the Roman Catholic Church has for approving exorcisms, you know? So that I'm a little iffy on if he actually said that or not. So all all of that to say they were found guilty, but they were given suspended prison sentences and just ordered to pay a fine that was essentially to split the cost of the legal proceedings. And that was actually a harsher punis punishment than the prosecutor was calling for because the prosecutor said that he just wanted like the priest to pay a fine and for the parents to be found guilty, but not actually be punished because I guess under German penal code, the uh, parents had suffered enough and so that should have been taken into account as a mitigating factor we kind of do that here in the u.s as well where we have like mitigating factors that's like so yeah they might have i don't know committed this carjacking but they don't have a criminal record prior to this so that should count for something so they would get like a lesser punishment and then there's like the i think it's aggravating 
factors are agitating. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that, it, that kind of works in the same way. So at least that's familiar wording. So some of the aftermath, um, we're going to go through this real quick just because we have taken up a lot of your time already. But Annalise was buried in Friedhof Klingenberg am Main in Klingenberg am Main, Germany. So because she had been buried in a hurry initially, she had been buried in a very cheap coffin. So about two years after she had been buried initially, her parents had requested for her body to be exhumed so that they could you know, rebury her in a new coffin, a better coffin. Um, so they, it was an oak coffin lined with tin. I don't know what the tin significance is. I think maybe to prevent like the outside influence from coming into the coffin and eroding the body more. But to be like, what's the tin got to do with nerf? Yeah. So I, I don't know 100%, but I do know that, that they started to make coffins differently because older ones, like the bodies wouldn't really be well preserved inside of it. So on her tombstone, it reads, here, rest in God. It is finished in love and gratitude, Annalise Michael. And apparently her gravesite has become a pilgrimage site for Catholics. I didn't find a whole lot of information on that, but it said that in multiple places. So I don't know if that's one of those things that's like actually true or if it's one of those Internet things that somebody said it and then everybody else said it just because that one person said it. After her death, uh, officially sanctioned exorcisms in Germany decreased. And it said that the Catholic Church has actually since reversed its position on like her situation, determining that she was mentally ill and was not possessed. So I don't know. Many others have said that this case was one where mental illness was misidentified as demonic possession, resulting in the negligence, abuse, and religious hysteria of the case. I don't know. I think I'm kind of with the prosecutor in the sense that like, yeah, maybe they were negligent, but they thought that what they were doing was was right with what what would save their daughter. So I guess I was going to say sense, it I'm also like, is like in the 70s. So what do yeah. they really know about mental health back then? Plus, she said, even though of her mental state. She just said she didn't want to have to do medical doctors anymore. So I really feel like they really shouldn't have gotten in trouble. Well, and then especially because she had already been doing medical treatments for so many years beforehand and they like nothing was helping. And maybe that was just that can speak to the level of medical care that she like that they had available at the time for epilepsy. Like it might have gotten significantly better. I know in the past, I don't know if they still do it, but they would do like electroshock therapy for that sort of thing in the past. I'm like, that seems not great. (laughs) So recently, I think it was, yeah. So on June 6, 2013, the home that they lived in burned down. It was um, the home after they like vacated it. I don't know if like the family lived there for the rest of their lives or if they moved or whatever. But they, after they left the house, it was left abandoned because nobody wanted to move in. So on June 6, 2013, a fire burned down the house and police determined to, it was arson. Some think it might have been the work of, you know, people who worshipped Satan or something. But I'm like, that seems dramatic. (laughs) But one thing I do want to point out, apparently, (laughs) if you add up 2013, like those numbers, it creates it equals the number six um so june 6 2013 is 666 so i think that's probably where people are getting that from so this case has been portrayed in media a couple times like i mentioned before there was the exorcism of emily rose in 2005 which starred jennifer carpenter laura linney and tom wilkinson and was directed by scott derrickson and the movie follows basically the trial side of things it's like a fictionalized version of the events but basically the lawyer who is played by laura linney was a self-proclaimed agnostic who takes on the case of father richard moore who was being charged with negligent homicide following the attempted exorcism on a 19 year old student named emily rose and emily had been experiencing delusions and muscle spasms at 3:33 every night which prompted her to drop out of school and return home where she sought medical help. Um, She was treated with epilepsy and psychosis medications, but neither of them were effective. So the family reached out to priests, you know, just 
they ended up doing kind of following similar pattern as the case. But basically, the movie itself is a mix of a legal drama and a horror movie going back and forth between the present day trial and witness testimonies that were given and flashbacks of what actually happened, like what they were talking about. Throughout the trial, the lawyer starts to experience some of the things that Emily was experiencing at 3.33 in the morning, like waking up to the smell of burning material like sulfur and stuff. And so she's warned by the priest that she might be a target for demons, as he's also been experiencing similar things. So I actually enjoyed the movie, even though it kind of like sticks with me. It's definitely like very loosely based, like the skeleton is of the case is there but just don't go into it expecting it to be like super accurate to what happened there's an another big movie that came out the year after in 2006 called requiem that was a german movie so the character like the main character was michaela klingler who was a woman who lived in southern germany like the provincial area so i guess rural who's torn between like her traditional catholic family and then the independence she craves And so like some of this seemed more like it was like a societal commentary rather than anything else, because like she starts to experience epileptic seizures and depressive moods, but refuses medical or psychiatric help and instead returns home to her family, where she admits to being possessed by the devil in order to, I guess, like get the approval of her mom who like didn't pay attention to her. I don't know. And so she then eventually becomes the victim of an exorcism, but they don't actually show the exorcism on screen like they do in Emily Rose. So I don't know. I haven't watched that one. I will probably see if I can find it out there with subtitles because I don't speak German, unfortunately. It was apparently really well received, so I'm interested to see what it was like. Um, and then there was various other like documentaries and stuff out there. Apparently one of them in particular, the exorcism of Annalise Michael was a Polish documentary, features some of the actual, like, the audio tape recordings from the exorcism. So they are out there if you wanted to find them somewhere to listen to them. But like I said, just keep in mind they're kind of freaky. Um, and she's also not speaking English. So anyway, that is the case of Annalise Michael. And I know that I had a lot of opinions. So this one was a little bit more of like, that in the beginning instead of at the end but i don't know it's this is one of those difficult cases because like we said earlier like they thought they were doing what was best for their daughter to help her to get the best treatment that they could get and to them when the medical stuff wasn't working they turned to religion so i don't think they fall into that category of people who do faith healing you know like they tried the medical route that didn't work so they looked elsewhere so i get it it's definitely one of those very like difficult subjects because i'm just like like yeah technically they were guilty of negligent homicide because they ignored the signs of her you know basically withering away into nothing because imagine like she's 23 years old she's 66 pounds like that's maybe the size like the weight of a toddler like that's to me that would seem obvious that something was wrong but again this was the 70s again this was you know people who were very very devout catholics so i don't know it's it's definitely one of those nuanced things where i'm like technically yeah but they thought what they were doing was the right thing so either way i hope that at least she's not like i guess the good thing is she's not suffering anymore like in the end because even even if she passed away like she's not having to deal with the symptoms of whatever this was whether it be demon possession or mental illness or maybe both who knows so do you have any thoughts no i don't i said all my thoughts as they came to me excellent well that's it for us this season. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate you. We'll be back at some point within the year 2023. Don't know when, so I'm not going to make any promises, but we will post about it on social media when that happens. So keep an eye out for that. We are on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at Wicked Podcast One. We are on uh, Facebook at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We're on 
TikTok at Shockingly Wicked. We also have a YouTube channel that we don't post on, but we might, I don't know, maybe some behind the scenes stuff in that break time because I'm sure we're going to hang out at some point. So if you're interested in that, say, maybe go check it out. We'll go to haunted locations. <laughs> yes, maybe we'll do some like ghost stuff. We'll see. That's TBD. Anyway, <laughs> we have our website, which is shockinglywicked.com or shockinglywickedpodcast.com. Um, you can find all these links on there. We have our Patreon, which has four different tiers. We've got, I think, $3, $6, $11, and $22. We are still going to be working on that while we're in our hiatus. So if you decide that maybe you miss us, miss us. I don't know. If you miss us and our banter, you can hop on over to our Patreon. Even at our lowest tier, $3, you still get bonus episodes. So, you know, go check it out. That is also at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. If you have case suggestions for our upcoming season, you can send those to us at shockinglywickedpodcast at gmail.com or through the contact form on our website. And I believe that is everything. Again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, As we approach the holiday season, I hope you guys have a great end of your year and a great time with family, friends, chosen family, whoever it is that you are going to be spending this time with. Yeah, that's all I got. (laughs) So again, we will see you next year. Bye! Deuces.